and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Great to have you with us for episode 219 of this show and the end of the Jesse Marsh era at Leeds. Herc, they were chanting his name over the weekend and not in the way you want to have your name chanted. Never in the way mm -hmm. you want your name to be chanted. You probably uh, had your name chanted that way a few times in your career, huh? Yeah, once or twice. You yeah. know, you'd have to be Fuera there. Hercules. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How you doing, Zeb? Good. Good. I'm doing quite well on this, uh, on this Monday of misery for American coaching. We got lots to talk about in this show. We will be discussing the Sounders at the FIFA Club World Cup. Blink and you missed it. We've got mm. a Mexican manager, Herc, who beat Real Madrid over the weekend. So we'll dive in on that. Interview with Gaga Slonina of Chelsea and the U.S. men's national team, plus a big move from Liga Mekis Femenil to the National Women's Soccer League. But let's start with the news. As we mentioned, Jesse Marsh's dismissal at Leeds, the American manager out after just under a year at the Premier League club. Marsh, of course, helping keep Leeds up last season, but following Sunday's 1-0 loss against Nottingham Forest, Marsh was relieved of his duties. Leeds, just four league wins all season, 17th in the table, very much in the relegation fight. By the way, Chris Armas, who just joined Leeds, will be part of an interim trio taking over. Uh, he'll be in charge on Wednesday when Leeds face off against Manchester United. Herc, what do you say? Did Jesse Marsh get a fair shake at Leeds United. Yeah, he did. And by the way, it was a game that Leeds should have fully probably capitalized on, excuse me, and won. Very mm -hmm. winnable game, if not for Kalo Navas. One Kalo, Kalo Navas. Navas, the most disrespected footballer of his generation coming Kalo through. Kalo Navas got Jesse Marsh again. fired. That's what you're telling me. Yeah, I wish it was that simple, but mm -hmm. it's not the case. And for everybody saying, well, that's been the case for Leeds, what do you think this game's about? You got to mm -hmm. put that little round ball into the net, and you got to keep that round ball out of your own net. And this is something that Jesse Marsh has not been able to do with Leeds. You can say the fullbacks are bad. You can say the defending's bad. You can say whatever you want. They're unlucky. The, the, the uh, expected goals is high under But here's one clear thing. Two wins in the last 17 games mm. for Jesse Marsh. I don't care if you're Pep Guardiola. I don't care if you're Jesse Marsh, anything Zidane. I don't care who you are. You can't have those numbers and expect to survive. This was bound to happen. They've not won the last seven games, uh, going on eight now, I believe. This is, this is, for whatever you want to say about Jesse Marsh, his style, chaotic, it provokes offensive play, uh, it's fast-paced, yes. But that system that you live by, you also die by, die by. And when teams figure you out, as they have Jesse Marsh and this Leeds team, it's very predictable. And it's very easy to play against. And Nottingham Forest, yes, they weathered a storm, but they had their chances as well. And this has been going on for the better part of a year yeah. for Jesse Marsh. So, yes, he, he got his own fair shot. Uh, he brought in the players he wanted, spent a lot of money, did a lot of things there in a year, but it wasn't enough. And I think he himself would tell you that. So Leeds haven't won, as you mentioned, in the Premier League since way back. October. In November. It was oh. November, actually, yeah. So as far as it's a fair shot, you want to, oh, you want to make a bet? I mean, we can, but whatever. Okay, $100, yeah? Okay. Okay, producer sure. Beto, put it in the book. Okay. As far as it's a fair shot, you know, I think a lot of times this comes couched in the conversation of him being American, right? And I, I do think he got a pretty fair shot as far as the fans there at, at Leeds are concerned. Remember, he took over for Bielsa, so he was always kind of battling uphill, and they still let him into their hearts. Obviously, you saw the fans in the stadium who were, who were very upset and wanted him out. 
I was online. I don't know why I woke up very early on Sunday. I was excited to see Leeds play. So I watched this game. And after the game, Herc, I go online to see the reaction from Leeds fans. It's very anecdotal. What I saw was a lot of them very angry at Jesse Marsh. But none of it had to do with him being American. Right? right? 99.9% of it was... It's the same problems that we've had since day one under Jesse Marsh, and we're not getting them fixed. And some complaints about his tactical rigidity, right? Maybe being too much of a system guy. So those are the complaints from the fans. The press, I think, you could argue was a little bit uh, unfair with him. What what are they calling him now? Yank Lampard? We've heard that. And then I don't know if you saw the, the story that came out. And I think, and I think, Herc, this is one of those stories where if things are going well, it's actually brought up as a positive. Uh, the story about the documentary that he wanted the, the Leeds players to watch to get inspired the by redeem the redeem team. The on redeem Netflix. team. As a player, is that something you roll your eyes at when you heard that? No, because you don't know how many times I've either experienced it myself or have heard of clubs doing similar things. When I was in Mexico, two separate clubs hired a boxer to come in and give a seminar, uh, a motivational speak, a speech issue, if you will. They've had, I've had comedians do the same with mm-hmm. Jurgen Klinsmann. We had, and he's got to forgive me for forgetting his name, but I had one guy rip a phone book in front of us that was supposed to motivate us. So, <laughs> so things like this happen yes. more than yeah. you know. But if Jesse Marsh does it, he's a stupid yank, mm-hmm. doesn't know anything about football, and that's why he's doing it. You mentioned the press. The fans mm-hmm. just want results. They don't care yeah. how you do it. They just want results. And now they've had a period where they see the, their team ascend, get to first division and NBL in a certain way, and then crash and burn. And they see the same thing right now with Jesse Marsh. And I think that's what's frustrating Leeds fans. Yeah. That's what they want is to win. But the press, from the moment that Jesse Marsh got there, he's the Yank. He's the American. Oh, guess what? Ted Lasso joke here. Ted Lasso joke there. Now it's Yank Lampard. It is what it is with the press in the U.K. If, if there's a complaint from Jesse Marsh's perspective here, I do think you can bring up the timing, right? Because you talk about all the money that they've spent, that, that they've shipped on him. If, if we look at this window, and they did spend about 40 million pounds, 50 million dollars, that's a lot of money for this window. But, Herc, he never got to use those guys, right? Weston McKinney over the weekend, he's bringing off the bench. Ruder, the <laughs> forward that he brought in, he's bringing off the bench. Volber, the one defender, did get the start against Nottingham Forest. But he's hardly got to use those guys And if you go back to the summer, you know, yes, they did allow him to bring in Tyler Adams. Yes, they allowed him to bring in Brendan Aronson. But they also got rid of some massive pieces, right? Calvin Phillips is an English international. Uh, Rafinha is a Brazilian international. These are really, really good players. So I think in in that case, you can argue that maybe Jesse Marsh didn't get the, the true time to work with these pieces that he's been brought in. They spent a lot of money. They brought in Chris Armis, Herc. A week ago, isn't that the ultimate sign? You're giving the guy your arm around the shoulder. You're giving him the vote of confidence, and here he is gone a week later. You don't question the timing from Leeds here? You can question the timing if you want, but Chris Armas is an indicator that they're going to give him a longer leash or, or are going to have are going to have more time. The reality here is they saw nothing, and they being the ownership or the mm-hmm. board, whoever you want, this isn't a he's an American, he made bad choices. It's isn't it, he's an American. He made bad choices. Uh, you talk about the players that left. What about the players who came in? Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams. Those are two guys that he specifically wanted, and they spent a lot of money between those two. And you can argue that when Leeds did well, those players did well. Mm-hmm. But it's not about those players doing well. It's about Leeds doing well. And they didn't do enough. So it doesn't matter how much money they gave him to spend uh, in this transfer window. You live by these results. And 
oftentimes teams in this situation, they get a jolt from a new manager. They get that técnico que, que debuta gana or doesn't lose. You know, mm -hmm. the, the new coach comes Everton in. Everton Arsenal. Everton sorry, producer Beto. Sorry, there you sorry. go. Exactly. <laughs> it happens. Everton, yeah. who was dead in the water versus Arsenal, mm -hmm. who was flying high already, already 50 points. And look what happens. They're looking for that jolt. Now, a week ago, we mentioned how 12 through 8, or 20, excuse me, was separated by like five, six points. Mm -hmm. So it's still very tight. They see that window of opportunity to stay up closing because you got United coming in twice back-to-back -back, yep. uh, midweek and then the weekend so it's by no means easy all right Herc producer Beto has confirmed Leeds last victory November 5th against Bournemouth hey Sevi is in the money here's a look at some of the <laughs> what are you stats talking about <laughs> for Leeds United before and after the 2022 World Cup. This, of course, under the management of one Jesse Marsh. Let's continue the conversation then. Jesse Marsh out at Leeds United. For more, we turn to our colleague, John Champion. John, great to have you back with us here on Football America. It's been a while. It has been a while. It's great to be back with you all. I'm sorry about the circumstances. I'm, I'm a bit downcast to see Jesse lose his job in these times. Uh, I think, you know, it, it had been coming. Uh, I think for the last few weeks, there'd been signs that the, the, the string that was still holding him attached to Leeds United was fraying by the week. But for it to come now, I think it's particularly mm. sad for him. But I understand why with back-to-back -back games against Manchester United coming up, because the other side of that are games that whoever the new man is, uh, is going to have to win against the likes of Southampton and Everton. So the timing kind of makes sense. Right, John. So you say it's sad, but as we were just discussing, is it fair? Do you think Jesse Marsh, when it's all said and done, got a fair shot at Leeds? Do you know, I do, really. I think he's, what, 22 days short of one year at the helm. And in the modern Premier League, that is a fair roll of the dice. Um, he was backed in the transfer market, I think a little later than he might have liked, I know that there were a couple of big exits last year, uh, Rafinha, Calvin Phillips, but then they spent £50 million over and above the fees that they got in for those two. You could argue that that money was spent too late in this window, uh, but at the same time, I think in the overall piece, two wins in 17 in the Premier League. Uh, any manager that goes three months without a Premier League win, you're looking at job security being almost non-existent. Yeah, I, mean, I said it before, I said it again. John stressed two wins in 17 matches, three and a half months without a win, seven games in a row where you couldn't uh, get a win at home. This is bound to happen. It doesn't matter if it's Jesse Marsh or if it's Pep Guardiola, you get those kind of numbers, they'll kind of result or lack thereof. This is what's going to happen. It's a results driven business. John, we've had Bob Bradley in the Premier League. We've now had Jesse Marsh in the Premier League. We still have Chris Armas, I should point out, in the Premier League. Looks like he's going to at least be part of the, the Leeds technical staff against Manchester United for the game on Wednesday. What do you think overall the sentiment about American coaches is right now uh, around the Premier League? Well, Seb, this doesn't help. But at the same time, I think coaches are judged not on nationality, but on ability and their potential to succeed. So I think if the next cab off the rank from America happens to do well, say it's Jim Curtin, for example. If I look around the ranks of American coaches at the moment, I think he is potentially the next cab off the rank to go to Europe and possibly do really well. I think he's got every chance. I think he's really well equipped. Whether now's the time is another matter. But I don't think it'll it, it'll really be uh, a, a subject for discussion, his nationality, as and when 
he arrives in Europe, for example, just as I didn't really think that it was with Jesse Marsh. It was more about his credentials to do the job than his nationality. Mm -hmm. For what it's worth, I think he made a far better fist of it than Bob Bradley did. I think mm -hmm. he was a lot cuter in the way that he went about things, the way that he handled the media, the way he presented himself. Uh, and I, I do feel for him because I think everyone would say he's a really decent guy. He's definitely got the ability. It's just that anyone that goes to Leeds United at the moment is not really getting a fair role because they don't spend at the same level of most other teams. Uh, they have a squad that arguably is not fit for Premier League purpose at the moment. So anyone is going to struggle to get a tune out of them. I don't know if I agree with that, Seb, in the terms that nationality doesn't matter. We look at the British press the UK press since the moment Jesse Marsh had gotten there had ridiculed him, belittled him, had akened him to Ted Lasso. So I do think nationality played a part in it. Now, whether he took advantage of the tools at his disposal and tried to change that narrative and was successful, that's a different story. But we can't act like this doesn't hold American backs or put him back in a different light or in a different perspective with most, I would say, UK pundits um, or just in general. Because you look at the track record of American managers in Europe, few and far between. Sure, you've got your Matarazzos, you've got your Wagners, your David Wagners, you've got a few that have been mainstays in some sense or form, but not the Premier League. Not when it mm. comes to the league's, the world's best league. Not when it comes to the cup of tea that Bob Bradley had there or, or Jesse Marsh and, and his getting there and, and what transpired. I do feel this, this definitely holds back American coaches a bit, especially in the eyes of the Premier League. I mean, I started my answer by saying it doesn't help, and it doesn't help. But I, I do, I do struggle a bit with this idea that just because a coach is American, he's going to be ridiculed. Yes, Jesse Marsh had to ride a few slings and arrows from the media. Uh, and maybe that wasn't fair. I don't think he, he had it quite as bad as Bob Bradley did. And I think the next guy that goes in there will have it easier again. So maybe it is a process that needs to be gone through. Maybe there do need to be a few American coaches before we get the, the one that the guy that hits it out of the park. But I know what you're saying, Herc, about, yeah, there are battles that American coaches have to fight over there that maybe they shouldn't really have to fight. But I think ultimately they're going to be judged not on their nationality, but whether they're up to the job. Yeah, I think that's how it should be. I just, I'm not convinced that the UK press in general is that way with foreign coaches. We saw with Unai Emery when he was in the UK and the way they ridiculed him. I guess it's par for the coast with, of course, with foreign coaches. But I, if you're asking if this sets American coaches back, I think I'm with John. It certainly doesn't help. All right, enough about the coaches. Let's talk about the players, shall we? Uh, John, where does this lead the, the three American players right now that are at? Leeds United, Weston McKinney, Brandon Aronson, and of course, Tyler Adams. I think it's simply a matter of who comes in uh, and how well they know those players, how much they like them or otherwise. What I would say is that I think Tyler Adams has made a terrific impression this season. Brendan Aronson started the season really well, and Weston McKenney's credentials are well-known right across Europe. So any manager that comes in, looks at those three Americans and thinks they're American, I'm not sure they're up to the mark, is going to be making a big mistake. And also, they're a big proportion of the squad. They don't have the biggest squad. They don't have much depth. They don't have a whole lot of quality in that squad. What they do have is largely represented by those three and a handful of others. There's an awful lot of players in that group representing Leeds United who arguably are not really Premier League standard. And I'm not talking about the American contingent in the squad. So I think they're going to be key for whoever comes in. Yeah, Herc, I think, yes. Of the three, who are you most worried for? 
Easy money's on Brendan Aronson, right? Because um, the mm. way he started and the way he's kind of fizzled out, uh, mm. some would question maybe the physical attributes and if he's been up to snuff for the Premier League and the demands of the Premier League. Uh, but I wholeheartedly agree with John. It all depends on who comes in. What if the next coach who comes in doesn't want to play a double pivot and he wants more of a ball-progressing midfielder? He wants more of somebody who can be good in that possession, that link-up play, or maybe that final pass. Tyler Adams has been absolutely amazing for the things that Tyler Adams can do, for the ability to win the ball, for the ability to play simple, for the ability to cover ground. But what if the next coach doesn't necessarily want that? These are things that could impact the player's well, ability to stay on the field. So easy money would be Brendan Aronson. Uh, but Tyler Adams, for as good as he's been, there are a lot of things that just necessarily aren't part of his game. So whoever comes in, that needs to be a role that Tyler Adams says, this is for me and I can keep. And Weston McKinney, it's it's too early to tell. I, I would say he's got a lot of attributes that I think are fitting for the Premier League. And I would assume if you spend that kind of money, uh, potentially, because all he needs to do is play in 10 games and save or leads be saved. And it's a $34 million uh, buyout there. That's a lot of money you don't just spend on anybody. So I assume he's in their plans long term. John, you agree with her that Brendan Aronson is, is the American that should be that should be the most worried at least. I mean, Weston McKinney just made the move. That that timing is awfully unfortunate from the player's perspective, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and and I, and I think from Chris Armas's perspective as well. Albeit he's going to be in charge against his former club a couple of times in the next week, by the looks of it. You know, what are his job prospects longer term? So I think the timing of this is unfortunate for a number of people that are involved. Not least, of course, Jesse Marsh. But specifically, when it comes to Brendan Aronson, I think he showed enough in the first three or four months of the season before the World Cup, before he started to tire a little, before the physical toll of the Premier League began to exact itself upon him, to show that he does have a place in the league going forward. You know, he's, he can still fill out. He can become, he can bulk up. I've seen so many players of his age who look a little fragile and frail. And a year down the line, they their bodies have been transformed and suddenly they look very much at home and they're up to the physical challenge. So by no means would I rule out Brendan Aronson. My question mark for him would just be, what role does he play amidst the muck and nettles of a Premier League relegation battle over the next three months? Mm. Longer term, I have no worries for him. All right, so let's talk about Jesse Marsh's next gig because a lot of people think, guys, it might be the head coach of the U.S., men's national team. John, what do you think? Jesse Marsh for 2026, you on board? I mean, it seems like a natural fit at the moment, doesn't it, given the hiatus at the U.S. men's national team on the, the coaching front and the sudden availability of Jesse Marsh and the fact that privately and indeed publicly on occasions, he's done nothing to dampen the idea that one day he would love that job. Now, whether it's the right time, uh, four years out, I'm not sure, but he might not get another chance. If it's offered to him, uh, I think he has to think long and hard about this, uh, not least because, yes, he's got the chance, if it was offered to him, to take charge of the US at a home World Cup. But at the same time, he would be turning his back on the European club scene where he's had success in Austria. He had a short stint in Germany. He's had a year in the Premier League. Does he want to turn his back on the day-to-day? -day? Does he want to turn his back on places where the sport is the nation's conversation day in, day out, to go to a place where uh, you're always fighting for attention? These are questions that only he can answer. But yes, on the face of it, it would seem a pretty natural fit. What do you always say, Seb? Um, facts change, opinions change? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever I need to get was, out of the corner. <laughs> yeah, well, well, and sometimes you're very right about this. <laughs> yeah. If this was three months out or 
three months ago, I should say, the perception around Jesse Marsh and his U.S. men's national future mm. would be very different. Today, you're looking at Jesse Marsh, who didn't well do at Le- who didn't do well at Leeds, who didn't do well at Leipzig. There was actually a player revolt there, and did well with an Austrian team that was supposed to do well, a team that spent a lot of money compared to their Austrian counterparts. Uh, and it is what it is, right? So it's not necessarily where you're saying it's this world beater of a resume. Today, with the way things have gone for Jesse Marsh, I don't know if he's the clear choice or maybe the best of the rest. And what I mean by mm. the rest would be his American counterparts. Because mm. if you look at the American counterparts, it's a, it's a shallow pool. You've got your Bob Bradleys and your Bruce Arenas who are legends in this realm of the world. But then after that, what, a Peter Vermes? Uh, who, who who most would say has done very well for himself at the club level in Major League Soccer, uh, a Jim Curtin, a Steve Chirundolo, a Greg Vanny. When you look at that pool, when you look at them, if you're not counting the, the David Wagners and the Matarazzos of the world, because I don't think U.S. soccer would necessarily go down that route, it's a shallow pool. He's the mm-hmm. best of the rest in that pool. Um, and I think that's what you got to ask yourself, is what what is U.S. soccer looking for? Mm-hmm. Seb, can I just come in there? Just one point that does occur to me. You asked me whether it seemed like a a possibility, a natural fit at the moment. The one big reservation I would have with Jesse Mars as a national team coach is that he is very much the Red Bull way. And part of the criticism Mm. at Leeds has been that he's tried to instill the Red Bull way, which is permanent chaos. Now, that's easy to instill because if you're a club manager and you have the players on a weekly basis, it almost becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a belief. It becomes a way of thinking. Uh, And on a a week-to-week, day-to-day basis, I can see that he can instill that. But when you only get the players every few weeks, every few months, maybe you have them for 15, perhaps 20 games a year, I'm not sure whether you can instill it in the same way. So whether you regard him as successful or not as a club coach, can he be as effective when he sees far less of the players Mm -hmm. if that Red Bull way is his approach and his go-to mantra, if you like, that he would try to deploy? Yeah, you know right. who, uh, who necessarily wouldn't be a great fit for that? Your two best players, uh, Christian Pulisic and, and Giovanni Reina. That would be one of my biggest worries. Now, when you talk about systems, and I think this is what a lot of people are afraid mm. of when it's a system coach, is that there's no plan B. I don't yeah. necessarily know if there's no plan B with Jesse Marsh at the national team level. He seemed very strict on the way he wanted to play at the club level. Uh, but certainly when you play that type of role, it's because you don't have the team or you don't have the <clears throat> identity of saying we're going to take 20, 30 touches and then get into their side of the field. You want to win it as high up the field as possible to get more opportunities. But if you get beat, that's a lot of ground to cover. And that's what Jesse Marsh and this Leeds team found themselves and have found themselves in his systems uh, over the years in trouble. It's the system guy argument, right? We heard it a lot around Greg Berhalter. It's a system, and sometimes systems with national teams don't always work. John, I want to get your, your thoughts on nationality because Hurt kind of mm. mentioned it there, and you're going to have a different perspective than the, than the two of us. Uh, certainly, we see it a lot in the Mexican press. Whenever they're talking about who's going to be the next manager of Mexico, well, is it going to be a Mexican or not? With the U.S. now, will it be an American candidate or not? Uh, I wonder from, from your perspective what you see over in England and then, you know, how important is it? Do you, do you think the next coach of the U.S. men's national team should be American? I think with a, with a home World Cup coming up in three and a half years' time, the next coach of the U.S. men's national team has to be the best person available rather than the best American available because I think it's such a critical appointment. And the best example I'd give of that Uh, And I think there are parallels in the country that's staging this particular World Cup, 2002 World Cup. I remember being in Korea 
the Red Hordes, supporting a mm. side that improbably reached the semi-finals. Their coach, a Dutchman, Gus Hiddink. And they went through lengthy arguments and debates whether uh, ahead of what for them was a half-hosted World Cup, together with Japan, they should have a Korean coach. And they decided they needed to take the broader view. I think the same applies to the US here. If the best guy's American, great. But it needs to be the best guy, regardless of nationality. That's the thing. Who is this best person? If we look at how, I guess, realistic some of these hires are, Zinedine Zidane, probably not going to happen. Jurgen Klopp, probably not going to happen. Pep Guardiola, probably not going to happen. Most likely will not happen. These reaches that you may have, uh, Jose Mourinho, maybe how realistic you could be left in a situation where it's, who are your viable candidates here, John? And I think that's the problem. We all love to throw out names, but they, want, they have to want to be here as well. And I think that's where the U.S. men's national is going to be in trouble. I agree. I mean, I think Mourinho, just from my knowledge of him, would be disastrous in that role. I know there's been a lot of coverage, a lot of speculate. I think he would be just the wrong person in the wrong job and would bring the wrong attitude to it at the wrong stage of his career, um, which is not to have a huge downer on him. I think he was brilliant. I think time has passed him by. And I'm not sure he would be the man that the U.S. would need for a home World Cup. Maybe he ends up with the job at the end. What I am saying, though, is that the process of making that appointment has to reach out to everyone that might be a possibility and not just narrow the field at the very first hurdle to the Americans. I, I think you have to be uh, a little bit broader in your perspective than that. All right, there he is, John Champion, our colleague here at ESPN. Great to have you with us on Football Americas, as always. Thanks for the time, John. No, great to be with you. Thank you. Here then, Herc, a look at Leeds' upcoming schedule. As we mentioned, a couple showdowns against Manchester United coming up this week. Chris Armis, one of a trio of folks who will be in charge on an interim basis. Let's run it back, Herc, with the hashtag USMNT. We'll start with Luca De La Torre. Speaking of bets that you lost to me, with an assist as Celta de Vigo beat Real Betis 4-3 over the weekend. What a game. Now, you can't tell me you're not surprised this man didn't play one single minute in the World Cup. I know he was coming off, what, injury. I know he was a new team Celta. He hadn't played much. But when you got this ability in your bag, might be useful. Try to play, I don't know, play offensively. Third straight start, second straight game with an assist. He's played in all eight games for Celta since returning from the World Cup. Gio Reyna, meanwhile, on the score sheet for a third straight game, coming off the bench to score for Dortmund in a 5-1 win over Freiburg on Saturday, Herc. Yeah, I see a lot of people making a fuss because he's doing some damage coming off the bench. Yeah, that could have been his role in the World Cup, but you gotta get on the field to do some damage coming off the bench. Megs on that golazo, scoring 11 minutes after coming on. Jordan Peefock, remember him? First goal since September for Union Berlin. A big one, Herc. The game winner in a 2-1 victory over Mainz. Yeah, he was on fire to start the season, then got injured, and then the World Cup happened. I'm sure emotionally that was a lot to deal with, but it's good to see him back on the score sheet. He's a killer. He's a goal scorer. That's what he does. Pifak, four goals and 17 appearances this season in the Bundesliga. Union, one point back of Bayern Munich. We got a title race on the Bundesliga on ESPN+. Premier League, Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson start and play the full 90 as Fulham earn a scoreless draw with Chelsea. Tim Ream, Herc, especially good in this one. One of the better players for Fulham. I think he's played every single minute this season, which is amazing because he's 78 years old and continues to shut people up, me included. 
Julian Laurent on Twitter said it was a Tim Ream masterclass. That play included right there. Fulham eighth right now in the Premier League. Two points out of six. So European football not beyond the realm of possibility for Full America 2.0. Austin Trusty, the 24-year-old defender with a goal is Birmingham City won 4-3 over Swansea in the championship. Uh, he's still owned by Arsenal, right? He's still part of that Arsenal. He's with Arsenal, no? Like, is there any chance here, Producer Beto? Pro Producer Beto's an, an Austin fan. It's his fourth league goal in 29 games. And he totally redeems himself. Scored an own goal midweek in the FA Cup. Scotland, Malik Tillman on a roll. Second goal in three days. This one in a 2-1 Rangers win over Ross County. Seven goals in 23 league matches for Tillman. Rangers second right now behind Celtic. For more on Tillman, let's hear from the man himself. Here's Malik Tillman after Saturday's big win. How much are you enjoying your football currently and the love that you're receiving from the fans as well? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I, I said it before, it's amazing to have these kind of fans and I'm really I'm really glad that they they like me that much and yeah, I can I can well, I appreciate that a lot. We can confirm Herc Austin Trusty still on the books at Arsenal. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news as far as the US pool is concerned, Serginho Dest out of favor at AC Milan a couple weeks ago. We found out Milan would not be picking up his buy option from Barcelona and then in the last few days the club announced Dest not even a part of their Champions League squad. Herc, Serginho Dest, 22 years old. What does he need to do to restart his career? Play. It's as simple as that. It's not just this season where I think he's played just a little over 600 minutes. It's going back to last season in La Liga with Xavi. He wasn't on the field because they didn't rate him. He wasn't available or he played little because they didn't think he was good enough. A majority of that time, he missed 15 games. It's because he wasn't available. Uh, one of those was COVID. The rest were injury, muscular injuries. For as good as Serginho is, for as much as we say he needs to work on certain things, you can't prove that, you can't be that, unless you're on the field, unless you can stay healthy. This is something that we've not really spoken about. It's his inability to kind of stay healthy at important times. I thought Serie A Italian football would do wonders for him mm -hmm. tactically. You would learn to defend the proper way. That is the Italian way. You go back to school, at least defensively. That's not been the case here. He's not been able to get on the field. And now we're not even going to see him in the games, the cup games where he could potentially play in the Champions League. So this one stinks for Serginho Dest. And the only thing you can do, I know there were murmurs uh, or rumors uh, and murmurs around there about him going to Manchester United uh, with Ten Hag. What you need to do is play. Yep. It's, it's better to be available than good these days. And he's not been available. Yeah, I mean, to, to the point about Manchester United, he's got to find his level, right? It's pretty clear. And I think we talked about this, Herc, when he made the jump from Ajax. There was not a big body of work. And suddenly there was a huge, huge amount of interest from not just some clubs in Europe, but the biggest clubs in Europe. If you remember, it was Barcelona, PSG, PSG. Munich. Everybody was yeah. in on Serginho Dest. So maybe the stock was a little overvalued early on. He was 19 then, Seb. You he was 19, it. and it was a project. When you get sold for 20-plus, you're no longer a mm -hmm. project. Yep. When you get sold for that amount of money as a teenager, you're no longer a project because at this age now, three years later, they want to see the fruit of that investment, and he's not giving that to him. Now, he had a great World Cup for mm -hmm. him. That mm -hmm. was 
as good as we've seen Serginho Dest. But that's not where the best football is played in the world, in the game. It's the Champions League. The World Cup, it's a good collection of, of teams and, and moments and a good platform, but it's not the best collection of football. So if he couldn't cut it at Barcelona and if he couldn't cut it at AC Milan, what is his level, Herc? You want to see him go back to Ajax, back to the Eredivisie? What do you want? That's, that's a good way of taking a step back to go forward. Sure. Go back to Ajax. Go back. Uh, is that too far a step back? You want to see him at a it's not too far Sevilla, a, step... a mid-table big league team. It's not too far a step back because it's still a great platform mm-hmm. for a lot of European clubs. Um, but I think, unfortunately, right now there's this price tag hanging over him that teams won't touch. So if you can get a loan back to a team like Ajax to give yourself that platform to see if potentially there's something else out there for you. But I think his level, honestly, is Conference League to Europa League mm-hmm. uh, right now. Hey, he was awesome at the World Cup. And I think anybody who had doubts about him as you're starting right back for the national team, you know, those were done after Qatar. Do you have any worries moving forward that all this at the club level could cost him his starting job with the national team? Because I would have said coming out of the World Cup that he has it locked down for the foreseeable future. No, but that's got less to do with Serginho and more to do with the pool of right backs for the U.S. men's national team. Right. You just don't see it that deep. You don't think there's that much competition. Well, speaking of competition, Hercules Gomez, there is lots of soccer available to folks on televisions this week. The FA Cup, of course, exclusively here on ESPN+. That includes Wrexham. Wrexham against Sheffield United. This is the replay of the fourth round game that finished 3-3, so should be a good one. Wednesday on ESPN+. Catch Wrexham of Welcome to Wrexham fame, the team owned by Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Seattle Sounders in the FIFA Club World Cup, bright and early on Saturday morning from Morocco, taking on Al Ali, the Egyptian squad. 14 minutes in, chance for Seattle. Doesn't miss by much. No, Albert Ruznak into the wall, but Lodeiro with the right foot comes close, and then this was a, a very good chance off the left foot. Oh, no. Oh, no, Ruznak. Albert Ruznak there with the opportunity in the 35th minute. Shanks it off the left foot, the designated player. 51st minute, Seattle's first shot on goal here from Josh Atencio. Yeah, it's from way deep. Atencio's playing right there in the midfield. It's not going to get there. And then uh, the signs were there, Seb. The signs were there. Al-Ali getting closer and closer until, well, 
You know what happens next. 88th minute, Mohamed Mali. The shot is gonna take a, and Herc, I mean it, wicked deflection into the net. One nothing, and Seattle is out. Yeah, Alex Roldan, little chicken wing right there. Stefan Fry, can't keep it out. Well, I mean, look, it was an even game. I thought both teams were good in moments. Uh, you know, sometimes that's the game. You know, we make one little half a mistake, little, you know, little error, give the ball away in that part of the field, they hit the crossbar. We had a chance to clear it, came, drops to the player and he shoots and, you know, Alex tries to block it and it goes in a goal. It's really unfortunate after all the effort that the players put in. As far as uh, the way that you represent it, you know, the North America, MLS, is it too early to kind of um, assess how you did that, or how how well you did? I mean, or if you even did well? Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think being here is a is a huge honor, and, and we we we're proud of how we represented the league and um, being the first team to be here. That's something that we'll always be incredibly proud of. So um, we have to hold our heads high in that sense. But yeah, of course, it's incredibly frustrating to come all this way. We work so hard during preseason, and uh, you know they're a very good team, but but lose on a goal like that is is tough. All right, time for a sad edition of Sounders TV here with Hercules Gomez. Give me the why, Herc. Give me the explanation. We'll get there with DC one day. Fingers what happened crossed. with the Seattle Sounders on Saturday against Al-Ali? Why did they go out? Well, they lost, Seb. That's why they went out. Mm -hmm. Did you not watch the game? It's very simple, honestly. It's, mm -hmm. This is a team, and it doesn't matter what we say because everybody's going to, well, especially you, it's an excuse. It's an excuse that they're in preseason. It's an excuse that they're not sharp enough. They're not fit enough. It's an excuse that they lost on a... Who's making these excuses? Goal. You? No. These aren't excuses. This is what happens. We're seeing a team right now who, by the way, played a decent team. A team that's been there, done that, and the last two mm -hmm. years has placed third place in this competition. And in a fluky play, get a goal but there were already signs there that they were coming to life mm -hmm. when the Sounders were dying physically. So it wasn't that much of a fluke. So it wasn't that much of a fluke. Well, no, I mean, the way the ball goes in is a fluke, but there were already signs that they were going to be even more of a dangerous team as the game went on. This game goes to extra time. Honestly, a situation where I still don't see the Sounders getting out of it. They went from first 60 minutes where you're like, it's even, and they mm -hmm. could potentially do something to start showing signs of them breaking down. Joao Paulo still massively missed. <clears throat> Brian Schmetzer himself uh, mismanaged the team towards the end of this game. It was Atencio and Joao Paulo coming on, and you don't get mm -hmm. nines on the field until the 91st minute. It was a double nine substitution of um, Eber and, and uh, Freddy Montero. Uh, even then, you just knew it was too little too late, and what many thought would happen, happened. Yeah. Uh, you talked a lot about the excuses, right? The reasons, the why around this. And, and, and it is understandable, right? Preseason form, you mentioned Al-Ali has all this experience. Uh, they're in the middle of their campaign. They're Undefeated basically campaign. at home, right? They're basically, it's effectively a home game for their, certainly compared to Seattle. And yet, despite all that, the Sounders were favorites. The Sounders were, according to the odds makers, favorites. So now that it's actually happened, do you still think it's not a failure? Well, because the odd makers make them favorites. Some of the odd makers don't know what 
football is. I mean, okay. it's, mm -hmm. this is why we make money off of it. They make a living off it, bro. They, they eat from it. You make a living off of this. <laughs> Doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. What I'm trying to tell you here is, how can it's this not be- not a failure? How can this be a failure if you've never been there? How can it be a failure if the last teams to participate in this tournament, all the Mexican, let's see, Rayados 2022, nothing. Chivas 2018, nothing. America 2015, nothing. Rayados 2013, nothing. Rayados 2011. You're, just skipping, you're, you're skipping years. You're skipping huge chunks of years. Skipping you're skipping a Tigres. final. I'm skipping Tigres. That's the only team that can say they've done something in CONCACAF. The only team, every other mm. team, which, yes, happens to be Mexican. And even, hold on, by, mm -hmm. by the way, even me, because I was there in 2010. Every single team, including the one I was on, failed, if that's your take. Failed. Mm -hmm. And they've all been there before. The Seattle Sounders haven't been there before. The Seattle Sounders, by the way, without also not being there before, mm -hmm. weren't, very, weren't a very good team last season. I mean, what was their league play record? Did they make the playoffs? No, the no first playoffs. time in their history they didn't make the playoffs. They're in preseason right now. What's wrong with the Sounders then? End of an era? What's going on? I mean, era, every era has its end or every cycle mm -hmm. closes. I don't know if it's the end of an era, but they're definitely not strong right now in preseason, and I think that's pretty evident. Um, that said, it's not a good look. It's one of these things where if you do well, they were supposed mm -hmm. to do well in the eyes of many. And right. if they don't do well, it's a failure because there's this narrative that we want to shoot Major League Soccer down. Now I get it, and I'm... One of the guys that when they need to be hammered, hammers mm -hmm. them. I try to be as just as I can, but I can't in good faith say, like, there you go. You're a failure for them being here the first time and in their preseason and not doing well enough in a one-off. One of the reasons you didn't mention for the elimination was the players. Uh, Seattle has three designated players, right? Lodeiro, Rusnak. And Joao Paulo. Where was Rusnak? Where was Jordan Morris? Where were they last night? Where was Nico Lodeiro? The Stars didn't show up for Seattle. Is that fair well, last night? Well, yeah, but nobody showed up for Seattle. Like, like, like you can say the Stars don't show up, and, that, and that's good and fine. That's what they're paid for. They, they, it comes with the territory. That, that's great. I mean, these are the games. These but, are the games, Herc. The, but the, you're not Jordan immune Morris from that. is a lightning rod for Seth, a reason. You're not immune from and, that. And, and when he plays in a game like this, isn't this the type of level he should be dominant at? Is, isn't this where... Jordan Morris, Nico Lodeiro, Albert Ruznak. Why should these they are... be dominant at that? Because they're your star players. So what? This is a team. Star that's... players aren't paid to dominate. Yeah, but you, but you're but you're using you're using figures. Well, make so that... a, hey, dominate. If dominate is too strong for you because you have so much respect for Al Ali, okay? Then then play better, make an impact, do anything, create shots on goal. They didn't have a shot on goal till 51 minutes into the game. Hurt. Hold on, hold on. You're using money as your proof of why they should do better. A team in a salary cap league. Mm -hmm. But when all these Mexican clubs didn't do better, you didn't say, where are the star players? You didn't say, where are the guys who make way more than these TAM players? It's, it's a ridiculous argument here, Seb, to say because they make money, they need to show out in an event where they're not even... <laughs> Why else do you pay pre players? They're pre you pay them a lot Seb. of money to be bad? But Seb, what do you want these guys to do? They're in preseason. Like, uh, I, I don't understand this. How you don't... How do you don't... What's the... How is this hard for you to protecting comprehend? Protecting the players on the Seattle Sounders, something you can 
always count on from Hercules Gomez here no, on no, Football no, no, Amigos. No, no. Let's see if you'll let's see if you'll protect the badge. You you don't you want to protect the, the team? The okay, you're gonna protect the badge as well. You're gonna protect Major League Soccer. Is this is this a bad look for MLS or is it okay? That the I've Sounders already answered out? the question for you. I've already answered the question for you. There's a narrative of people who want us to do just whatever they want to. Oh, forget about the narrative. Forget about those people. No, I can't Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Said, because the same ignorant narrative as the retirement league, the same ignorant narrative as they have to dominate. This is ridiculous. They have to dominate. Why? Why? Why do they have to dominate? A team, by the way, who's been there, done that. Why? Because your arrogant take says so? It's no, ridiculous. because of the Seattle Sounders representing Major League Soccer. They're the what flagship is Major League Soccer? of MLS. How long has it's Major a league League Soccer growing been that around? wants to compete. Give what's me the a point break, of man. what's oh my gosh, how, Give me how a much break. how much how many paper how much print was spilled over the Seattle Sounders finally winning CONCACAF Champions League. Because what they a did watershed finally win CONCACAF League. What do you want to do? moment for Major League Soccer. Asterix oh, now we're going to get to go to the FIFA happy. Club World Cup. Asterix. Now we get to, to, to test ourselves against Asterix. Real Madrid and Liverpool. The Sounders There's weren't even... Team, the Sounders in didn't stick around one team long enough for Real Madrid to show up to the tournament. One they team. didn't even stick around Degas. long enough to see Real Madrid one land. One team. Degas, the only team that can say they did something. Tigres, the only team in CONCACAF. Mm -hmm. And you're going to mm -hmm. sit here and you're going to call the Seattle Sounders a failure for their first time in preseason. I'm going to say it's a bad look in MLS oh, when man. the first team you send to the FIFA Club World Cup goes home Don't 90 send them minutes MLS. in. Don't send 90 them. Wait, minutes in. So it's oh, a good look okay. for the league. Okay. So it's a good representation for the league is what you're saying. Yes, it's a great representation. What are you even, what are you on? I need some right now. Seriously. Unbelievable. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network. All lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Time to move on to Liga MX and the good, sound? the bad, and the ugly. The good of Jornada Cinco, match day five, La Chofis Lopez. Quakes fans, you're going to love this fourth goal in five games as Pachuca beat Leon 1-0. Well, not just that. You said Quakes fans. Since he actually went to the Quakes, it's his 20th goal. This kid's been on fire. This isn't an Almada thing. This isn't Guillermo Almada and Pachuca who have brought this player back. We got to go back to the Quakes and to Matias Almeida, Seb. <clears throat> Almeida. If Almeida can get trophies to do this, surely he should be the national team manager, right? I'm not following your logic it's a pretty good, pretty good argument. The bad, Alejandro Zendejas, uh, who came off injured early in America's 2-2 draw against Santos. 
The early reports are that he's out for three to four weeks with a hamstring injury. The 24-year-old taken off on Saturday night for America against Santos. Herc, what does this mean for a potential March call-up to the U.S.? in the CONCACAF Nations League. Well, it's a muscular injury, so they're tricky. You don't want to rush back from it. And one of the mistakes that America will certainly be focusing on, at least in their eyes, is why did we let him go midweek when we didn't have to to the U.S. men's national team? He comes back, he plays, uh, overuse, and then this happens. Certainly, they'll be lamenting that situation, so they're going to want to be cautious with them, and that could put in jeopardy a potential call-up mm -hmm. to the CONCACAF Nations League, especially if you're Alejandro Sendejas. One, is he ready for the decision? And two, is he ready to come back? You don't necessarily want to just put yourself back out there that quickly when sure. it comes to muscular injury like this. So it's, it's tricky, and when you're talking about the U.S. men's national team, I think this definitely puts it in jeopardy. Do you think he'd be a lock to get called in? Like, because you've got the whole European pool at your disposal at that point. Yes. And that position is really, really deep, yeah, as we you, always say. Yeah, because people For see me, him as a winger. And I don't, know if he, yeah. I don't know if he's seen as a winger or the discussions that Anthony Hudson, can't believe I'm saying this, has had with Sendejas. But, well, forget Anthony Hudson, because he's not going to be the long-term coach. What do you see him as for the national team? I think he's an eight. I think in this pool, I think he's an eight. And I do think you he's think he's... Do you think he gets called in? Is he good enough to get called in as an eight in this pool? Yes. With McKinney, Musa, everybody healthy? Yeah, well, those are two starters. What's the rest of them? I mean, Luca, yeah. you know, they're, Luca they're, De La Torre. All, they're I mean, all different, right? Luca De La Torre could be an eight. He could be a double pivot. He could be that deep line playmaker, uh, if you will, Pirlo style, whatever. But there's very few players with that capability of mm -hmm. ball to your foot, getting out of things. And listen, Tyler Booth has come up into, into play. So has uh, Jordi Mihailovic, even though he's nursing a calf injury right now. So I think Sendejas is in that mix as an eight. On the wings, I, I don't think so. I didn't particularly enjoy watching him on the wings. I thought he was best from a center position. And I know Anthony Hudson rates him because yeah. he said so himself after. So if you're asking me if I think he gets called in, yes. Healthy, yes. Do I think he'll be healthy that time? I don't know. It's a tricky situation with that hamstring. Might end up buying him some time to make the decision ultimately. If he has to make it in March, he may still be making it without knowing who the full-time manager is for either the United States or Mexico. So maybe it's best for him. You know, to wait till the summer. What if he gets anyway. called in by Mexico? Woo! Drama, drama. Let's get to the ugly. Oh, this is going to be bad for our production team. Which is uh, not Cholo-centric, but TJ-centric, let's say. Cholos drawing 1-1 with Nikax on Friday. Not enough uh, to keep Ricardo Valinho in his job. He was fired on Saturday. Joins Mazatlan's Gabriel Caballero on this season's Liga Mekis managerial scrap heap. Cholos right now, 14th out of 18, zero wins from five games. Herc, who's next in Liga Mekis to get the sack? Cruz Azul's Potro Gutierrez or Mauro Gerk of Querétaro, who are also on the struggle bus. It's El Potro Gutierrez. Before I get to El Potro, eh, Cholos, by the way, since they last won, they only won in 2012 a league title, there have been 18 different mm -hmm. coaches there but the same sporting director. Mm -hmm. Make that work for me. Make, make me understand that for a second. Yes, okay? it's the Dave Casper approach in DC. There, there we go, there we go. El Potro Gutierrez, and this is, man, this is tough. Not because he probably doesn't deserve it. Maybe he does. Mm -hmm. But because it's the profile of the club. And it's a club that's not being reinforced. 
the way it should be. And it's a club that if we really look at the root of the problem, few of its problems over the last couple of seasons have been directly involved with the play or players we see on the field. You could get to the root of the problem by going straight to the top. Ownership, the board, the dysfunctional way that they do things, mm -hmm. the constant turnover of people in decision-making uh, positions. That's the problem. El Potro Gutierrez, what are you going to say? You didn't get the results you needed to this season? Have you seen that team? Yeah. Who's their starting nine? Who's the, who's the player of worth? Who are the players right there that you can really, exactly. really say are, are star players, mm -hmm. are playmakers, are anybody in Liga Mekis that's going to change things? I think it's Potro Gutierrez right now is doing what he can with what he has. Yeah, to that front, uh, Carlos Vargas, one of his reinforcements, just has a, an injury that looks like it's going to cost him the season. So trouble mounting there, Cruz Azul. I'm sure you were watching Cruz Azul against Tigres, Herc. Did you see the attendance? Or maybe I should say that the lack of attendance there at Azteca, that's certainly, certainly not a good sign for Potro Gutierrez. I was on this basically from the beginning of the season. I was nervous about Cruz Azul. It's got to be Gutierrez. One, to your point, there's much more pressure at Cruz Azul than yeah. there would ever be at Querétaro. And Querétaro, for as bad as the start looks, like they've only lost once. They've got three draws out of four. Cruz Azul has lost three out of four. So I think much more pressure, much worse start for Cruz Azul. I think it's Potro Gutierrez and probably, uh, unfortunately for him, by a long shot. Let's run it back with Diego Lainez, her. Speaking of the Tigres Cruz Azul game, your beloved Tigres, 1-0 winners away on Saturday Ooh, night. It's Mark hot. Lainez Tigres debut, and yes, those beautiful white kids. Also marked his return to Estadio Azteca, where he began his career with Club América. Lainez starting on the bench before replacing Nico Ibanez in the 54th minute, Herc. He, of course, is with Tigres on loan from Real Betis. That was his one big play coming there just a uh, few minutes after coming on the shot saved by JJ Corona. Um, okay, so Diego Lainez debut with Tigres. How you rate it, Herc? What'd you think? Well, let me start off by saying that number 16 is uh, a tricky jersey to wear. Uh, legendary mm -hmm. players, yes. uh, Lucas Heavy. Lobo, Di Diablo Nunez, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, your boy. Pesa. Your Pesa boy. Uh, this is the typical Diego Linus uh, play. Yeah. And now let, let me let me be clear. Are you saying with this. play or like or his his typical performance? Play. Okay. Okay. The play okay. itself. Okay. Because you know what you're gonna get out of him offensively. He's a player that when he has the ball at his feet and he's in the final third in a 1v1 situation, you've got to be very cautious of. He's a player that's going to make fans get up on their seat. Let me see what this guy's going to do. He's shifty, he's crafty, he's good in tight spaces, he can create something. We know that about Diego Linus. In 38 minutes that he played, he showed you that. He got fans excited. But if you look closely, there are a couple times I saw his teammates when he's not in that final third. When he's got back to goal, defensive play, in his half, and he loses the ball. When he tries to play in a quick First time ball in the center of the pitch and it gets lost. And you see the team, hey, relax, be smart. These are things that Diego Linus has always been criticized for. The learning how to play within a team tactically. Because in the final third, honestly, there are a few things mm -hmm. you're going to nitpick at. Diego Linus is a game changer in that final third. But this is the typical Diego Linus performance where a lot of people are going to come away and say, hey, look how well he did. And yes, he yeah. did very well. Very well, things we're gonna, we already knew he would do well at. It's the other things that are going to make or break him being a starter on this team.
Yeah, 38 minutes is a good chunk, right? We worried about his playing time, but that's a pretty significant role uh, as a substitute off the bench in this game. I, I like that you focus on the play, but also I think it was a, a very typical performance in that there are moments where you absolutely see the talent. You see the one-on-one -on -one ability that is unique, especially for the Mexican player. It's why we were so, I think, shocked when he wasn't in the roster for the World Cup. But you also see, Herc, what I believe kept him effectively off the field with Betis and eventually with Braga. For all the shine, the, the final product, right? Yeah. Yeah. And especially on the play, he cuts it back, he cuts it back onto his right foot. He takes a decent shot, but he doesn't get the final product. That's what's going to get you more minutes. That's what's going to get you starts. That's what eventually, ever, if it's going to happen, is going to get you back to Europe. So to me, it was good, um, but it wasn't great. And it was effectively what we've come to expect from Diego Linus. Quickly yeah. before we yeah, move on. Yeah, very quickly. Hopefully, he gets into that rhythm. Hopefully, Diga doesn't revert into what we saw early on in that second half where they're a defensive team and he's playing as a right wing back, which is counterproductive for him. All right, another L3, run it back. This time, we're going to the place where Diego Linus once was. La Liga, which of course is on ESPN+. Plus. Sunday, Mallorca, managed by Javier El Vasco Aguirre, who of course managed Mexico at the 2002 and 2010 World Cups. Beat Real Madrid, 1-0. Mallorca's goal coming in the 13th minute off a weird own goal by Nacho. And Mallorca now 10th in the league, hurt. 10th in the Spanish table. Nine points from the drop. Remember, they suffered all the way to the end last season under Aguirre, trying to avoid relegation hurt is Javier El Vasco Aguirre as of this moment right now CONCACAF's best manager at the club level what say you well, <laughs> um it's a tough one I don't know if he's the best manager right now but who's he may better? be by default who's better well that's the thing you don't have better right now who are you gonna yeah. say uh, Jesse March just got fired you could theoretically yep. say he was at that level uh, David Wagner just got a job at Norwich uh Matarazzo could be back at the helm, right? Mm -hmm. But none of these guys right now you're going to put up at the helm. Piojo Herrera doesn't have a team. Um, Turco Mohamed, et cetera, et cetera. What about your boy John Herdman? He was linked to Leeds. Maybe he's going to replace jo Jesse John, John Herdman, okay, mm -hmm. but his last performance at the World Cup left a lot to be desired. Okay. So I don't know. You could say it's... You could well, say, you can't give me another one if you can't give me somebody better. Well, no, let me tell you what I... Let me, let me give you something, though. What I will say is you could say it's Javier Aguirre by default, but I'll tell you where he runs away with it. He's by far the best coach in CONCACAF history. There's, there's no two ways about it. You look Totality at Totality of resume. Just, just forget the resume for a second, in, which is very difficult because you've coached multiple national teams, okay? Multiple national teams, multiple countries. You've coached some of the biggest teams in the world, like Atletico Madrid. You've been in some of the biggest places in the world. You've had some of the biggest platforms in the world. But look how long he's been relevant. Relevant. People know who Javier Aguirre is in La Liga. This man has survived coaching in, in, in a game that's evolved so many different ways over the years. When you think about CONCACAF players and how little respect they've gotten, it's a handful of players you could say have played at just an elite level. Hugo Sanchez, Rafa Marquez, Chicharito Hernandez, you know, uh, uh, Casey Keller, Tim Howard, whatever you want, even a, even a Dwight York, those type of players. Okay? There are handfuls of players. But when we talk about coaches, when we talk about coaches, international managers, he's in a different table. He eats apart. There aren't many coaches who are on that level. Resume, style, longevity, everything you want, he's been there. So when I was doing this exercise of who's the best 
today, mm -hmm. I found myself thinking it doesn't really matter because it'll be another flavor of the week come next yeah. week or yeah. flavor of the month. But there's only one Javier Aguirre. It's easy to, after you beat Real Madrid, get caught up in the moment. But to your point, there's, there's not a lot of options here, right? It, it is a little bit of an honor by default. But even if we lose kind of our, our bias, our prisoner of the moment bias, we can look at his, the entirety of career and see a guy who's had success not just at various stops, but at the different levels, at club and at international level. This is a guy who got Mexico out of the group phase in two World Cups, and he's gotten both Osasuna and Atletico Madrid qualified to the Champions League at times when those clubs and their aspirations were markedly different, certainly Atletico Madrid, than they are today. So I think this is a guy who, if you look right now, you say, wow, what he's doing with Mallorca, 10th in the table, a team that a couple years ago was in the second division, pretty impressive. You can also look at the entirety of his resume and say, there's really nobody else in this region that comes close. It should count double having to work for Stu Holden, so I'll give it to uh, him. Ah, yeah, yeah, true, true. Got a tough boss there in Stu Holden, one of the uh, many owners for Mallorca. Speaking of, they'll be back on ESPN Plus Saturday, 12.30, taking on Sevilla. Mallorca, Sevilla, Saturday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coverage starts on ESPN Plus. All right, we got one more Run It Back featuring Mexican players. Mexicans, I should say, in the Eredivisie. Huge game atop the table. Feyenoord and PSV. Santi Jimenez starting for Feyenoord, who went down 2 0. PSV would uh, eventually, as we see Santiago Jimenez get a half chance there, go up 2 0, get a red card, go down to 10 men, uh, and then have to rally. Jimenez had a couple decent chances, but couldn't get one in the back oh, of the that net. That was it! That was it. Uh, clear header. I don't know if you saw images of. Uh... Santi Jimenez afterwards, but he had a pretty gnarly scar mm -hmm. or cleat mark on that thigh. Yep, he drew the red card against PSV. Era Gutierrez, you saw there, coming on as a sub. Feyenoord, as I mentioned, would rally. Alireza Yahanbaksh with two goals, one in the 81st, one in the sixth minute of stoppage time to get us to a 2-2 draw. There you see the Dutch table with plenty of players from North America uh, involved. Santi Jimenez and his... Feyenoord team right now in first, Azed Alkmaar, that's where Jordi Mihailovic is in second, Ajax, of course, Edson and Jorge Sanchez there, and PSV Eindhoven, and Eric Gutierrez in fourth. Groningen, 17th, ouch. Yep, Ricardo Pepe and Groningen in the relegation fight. Everybody wants to talk about Taylor Booth of FC Utrecht. You can watch him Sunday morning, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Utrecht against Vitesse, the Eredivisie, available on ESPN+. Is the cry. First Ladina has yet to really threaten. Coming towards the front post, and it's right on all the way towards Jovalic. Yes! And they want another corner, they'll get one to the edge of the box. Neat movement here, and it's an opportunity. Another save coming away of Slanina for the box. It's pulled back, and Slanina tries to keep it out. What a stop from Slanina! And what a way to introduce yourself as the youngest ever. Goalkeeper with the U.S. Men's National Team. You're a young guy, so you may not remember this, but there was a time when they used to call January camp, Camp Cupcake. How would you describe the level of intensity right now in the camp? 
Yeah, it might be called Camp Cupcake, but you know, obviously the intensity is there. You know, every guy wants to prove that that you can continue to get called into a camp, and I think that if you come in with a mindset of, of trying to prove that you know you're here for a reason, then you know you'll come out with a with a positive you know advantage. So I think that you can use this opportunity to to show that you can be here for for the future. So you know I think it's a it's a really good opportunity for all the guys here that you know want to prove that they can continue to be with the U.S. Men's National Team. If you can pick out one central or overwhelming message that you're getting from either Anthony Hudson himself or the technical staff, what is it? Like, what are they telling you guys as a team? Yeah, I mean, they're telling us, you know, when we first got into camp, I think our first meeting, you know, our coach showed us that a lot of the players that had been called into a World Cup cycle after making their, their debut here at the January camp. So, you know, I think using that to your advantage, you know, if you come on and make a debut, you have to be ready for your opportunity. And, you know, you have to use that opportunity to show that you can play on the field and you can, you know, fit the system. So I think the best message for here is, you know, don't take it lightly. Don't use this as a, as a chance to, you know, just be here. You know, really want to show that you can, you know, be, you know, called into the 2026 World Cup. All right, so ideally, you'd be trying to prove yourself for a manager, a manager who you know who it is. That, that's not the case right now, obviously. You got Anthony Hudson that you're working with. He's there on an interim basis. On top of that, I'm sure you've been following the news like everybody else. There's now no GM, Brian McBride out, no sporting director, Ernie Stewart out. As a player, how does that impact you? Uh, to be honest, it doesn't, it doesn't impact me much. You know, no matter who the coach is, you know, no matter what the circumstances are, you want to be the best professional you can be every single day. You know, you want to create those habits. So when there is a coach, when there is a, you know, GM that it's, it's nothing unnatural that you're doing when they're here, you know, you want to keep up the same routine, same habits. So you're, you're playing at your best every single day. So you've gotten to spend some time with Chelsea now. Take us inside those training sessions. What was that experience like when you first show up at Chelsea as the young American goalie? Yeah, it's a it's a dream come true. You know, playing at a club like Chelsea, it's it's an extreme honor to to play at a club with that much history, with that much, you know, you know, trophies behind it. You just wanna you wanna be a winner with them. You wanna win. You wanna you wanna succeed. So, yeah, being in that environment with those resources, if you have the the right mindset, you know, going with a growth mindset that you wanna get better every single day, then then you will. You know, your thoughts your thoughts become reality. So, you continue to to grow and improve as a player when you're there and as a person off the field. They have the the best staff, the best players, so you know, adapting to the speed and level is, is something that I really look forward to. So we've had you on this show before. You've been in, in kind of the eyesight of youth national team fans anyway for a long time. I know you've been dreaming of the big move, right, of the Chelsea opportunity. Did you have a, in those first few training sessions or the time since, a welcome to Chelsea moment, that moment you really felt like, whoa, I'm here, I, I'm in the Premier League. Yeah, honestly, I think it was was the first match where I went out to warm up. You know, we played. Um, we were we were actually away at Manchester City um, in the FA Cup, and just being there, and it's it's just a different type of atmosphere. You know, you really feel it in yourself. You know, like the the bright lights on you it was a, is a beautiful night. So that for me was kind of like, wow, I'm I'm really here. And you know, it's it was kind of I can either you know have it make me nervous or embrace it, and you know. Want to, want to continue to prepare myself in trainings and that's what I'm going to continue to do. You know, be ready for the opportunity because football is, is crazy like that. You get your opportunity from, you know, it can, it can be an injury, it can be a dip in form. So you have to be ready for your opportunity and, you know, be ready to play at your best when you get that chance. I know he's hurt right now, but I, I wonder what it means to have another American, somebody like Christian Pulisic at the club, at Chelsea already when you get there and maybe what some of those early conversations were like. 
Yeah, it's it's amazing to have someone like Christian there. You know, he's a U.S. men's national team legend already for me. So you know, having a you know person I look up to and you know want to be like for the for the U.S. men's national team there, it kind of feels like a little bit like home. You know, like I'm not too far away. So having a, a familiar face and just a guy I can talk to whenever you know I feel like I, I need someone to talk to is is really really great. Lots of rumors, lots of reports out there about what's next for you. It must be amazing to to train with a team like Chelsea, but I'm sure you want to play as well. Uh, what do you want? Do you want to stay at Chelsea right now or you want to go out on loan and maybe get some minutes? Yeah, I mean, of course, as a player, you always want to play. You know, you want to, you want to be, you know, showing what you can do on the field and helping your team win. But, you know, being at a club like Chelsea, I think that, you know, when you go into an environment like that, you, a lot of a lot of details that you need to work on you know come to light so I think that you know for right now you know getting the training there and seeing what what I need to improve on is, is really really big for me so I think that you know just using what, whatever they decide will be best for me which I know that they'll make the right decision is is you know I'm just going to use it as uh, an opportunity to, to continue to grow and improve as a player all right Gaga before we let you go let's talk goals with the national team whether it's Olympics World Cup 2026 What's kind of on your radar? What are your stepping stones over the next three or four years here? Because a lot of people have very high hopes for you. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to take it step by step for, you know, leading up to the 2026 World Cup. You know, obviously to, to get into that World Cup, you have to be, you know, called into every camp, called into, you know, every opportunity you get. So I'm going to use, you know, hopefully the, the time within those camps to, to continue to learn and improve because, yeah, the most important is to getting called into every single camp leading up to that. So, you know, you're, you're around the system, you're around the players, you're around the, the group of players that are hopefully going to be called into the 2026 World Cup. All right, I know I said before we let you go, but one more here. Just let's let's look back quickly on the game against Serbia. Obviously, the defeat stings, but on an individual level, how do you think you played? Yeah, obviously, the most important is the is the team result. You know, I I would rather um, not not see anything and, and come away with a win than you know make a, make a lot of saves and and not win the game. But yeah, I thought I I thought I played well. You know, I I thought um, I was a bit nervous leading up into it. Obviously, you know, making my debut with the U.S. Men's National Team team you want to do well but it was a it was a good type of nervous you know um there's a different type of uh, level of anxiety that you can feel but you know i think for me that feeling a little bit of nervous means that that i want to do well so it's it's a good it's a positive for me but yeah once i make once i made the first save it's it's just zoning in from there you know it's honestly felt like everything passed by in a blur um you know that whole night went by in a snap of a finger so um it was it was really great i'm really proud of of how we played you know even going down to one we i thought we had you know the the more threatening chances so i think there's a lot that we can improve on and we're going to continue to improve on gaga slonina making the big move from chicago fire to chelsea and making his senior international debut with the u.s men's national team in that January camp friendly against Serbia. Good to chat with the young goalie. Herc, I got my minutes with Gaga. What'd you think? You know, the first time you interviewed him, I thought he had a good head on his shoulders, and then he had his mishaps in Chicago on the field. Mm -hmm. His errors that are going to happen to any goalkeeper, those lumps you take along the way, and it really seems at least emotionally that he's taken those in stride and he's gotten better for it. Every time I listen to him, I come away thinking how mature he is for his age. So I'm hoping he sticks around because he's got a good head on those shoulders. Quickly, what do you want to see him do? Go on loan somewhere and get minutes or are you good with him training at Chelsea? No, go on loan and get minutes.
Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Part of the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There is moves coming when it comes to the women's game, Herc. A rare transfer from Liga Mekis Femenil to NWSL. Uchenna Kanu, the Nigerian international, is moving from Tigres to Racing Louisville. The Athletic reporting Louisville will pay a $150,000 transfer fee for Kanu, who signs on a two-year deal with an option for a third. Kanu scored 24 goals in 30 games for Tigres since joining the club in January of last year. These are scenes from outside the LA Galaxy's preseason game over the weekend, a fan protest. Of course, you remember executive Chris Klein suspended by Major League Soccer for violating salary rules. Still got that new contract from the club. Fans are unhappy. Herc, uh, where are you in this? Which car are you driving? Which sign are you holding? Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I wish it was worth something to protest. Uh-huh. Not to us, not to the fan mm-hmm. base, but to that front office. To because, the owners. To the ownership. Because the only way they're going to do something is when their pockets are hurt. Mm. Today, that game in the Rose Bowl, LAFC versus mm-hmm. the LA Galaxy, it's already 75% at capacity. Already 69,000 tickets mm. sold. That's going to show them. That's, That's really going to show them. Galaxy, by the way, losers in that preseason game against New York City FC by a final score of 2-1. to one. That'll do it for this edition of Football Americas here on ESPN+. Plus. We will be back on Thursday with Jonathan Gomez, who also joined us from January camp, so we'll talk to him, plus a look ahead towards the weekend. He's Herc, I'm Seb, thanks for watching. Don't show your face in Seattle, we'll you in Seb. Days.